All right, Nyala Flavasinus, let's get the uh, book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And verse number 16. We'll begin there this morning. We ended there last week, more or less. This is part two of our lesson on music. We're going through some tricky topics, as you might know. For those of you visiting today, we started a series called Tricky Topics things pertaining to church that are sometimes a bit difficult to deal with. We're trying to cover them as exhaustively as we can. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 16. So Jesus here is giving an illustration of how he tried to reach the the generation of his day. And he and John the Baptist, of course. John came before Jesus as far as his ministry was concerned and his physical birth just a few months ahead. In verse 16, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows, saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. And then Jesus explains his illustration. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, And they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And then Jesus, this is a bit of sarcasm here. He says, But wisdom is justified of her children. (laughs) So what he's saying is, you folks, this, you know, the majority of that generation were claiming to be the children of wisdom. Saying, we're, we're the wise ones. We got it figured out. And he says, Now what you're doing, the way you're reacting to our very clear message makes no sense. It's not a very smart or wise reaction. So wisdom is justified of her children. Let's not blame wisdom for how you're acting. Now the point I'm trying to bring out in these few verses, Jesus had one style, if you want to call it that, or a method of preaching, communicating to the people. John had a different method or style. John was a bit more somber, serious, and to the point. Now Jesus could be that way at times, But as you can see, Jesus had no qualms about sitting down, having a meal with the worst people of his day, publicans and sinners. What you got to see here, the the public, they were accusing Jesus of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. He never did that. He never lowered his standard to that level. He never partook of those worldly things in order to reach worldly people. Would he sit at the same table? Yes to communicate the same truth that John the Baptist was preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now one guy might say it by stomping the foot and pointing the finger and slamming it home. The other guy might sit at the table calmly and say, guys, listen, the Lord loves you and he's given you a chance. You need a turn. Now see, two different ways of communicating the same message. Music is much the same. When we sing, we are communicating. And yes, sometimes the style of music will be different. And as I've mentioned, we don't want to go so far one way that we, we, it sounds just like the world. There's absolutely no difference. We want, don't want to go to the other extreme and make it Gregorian chants and you know, music from 1,500 years ago. We can't cut the line so fine down the middle that the only kind of music that is acceptable is what you hear this morning in our church. That, that's too fine of a line. There's got to be a little bit of a gray area. Music does affect all of us differently. However, we're talking today about church music. What you listen to 
and what you sing at home, that is between you and God. I am not going to watch over your shoulder, micromanage your spiritual life. I'm going to trust that you have enough spiritual discernment and that you will look at the music you listen to, the music you play in the car, at home, the stuff you sing in the shower. I want you to search your heart and ask, is this music helping me get closer to God or is it making me, making me more comfortable with the world and with carnal ways? You have to have some discernment. But we as a church also have to discern that, right? And as the pastor, I'm going to have to make some decisions. The tune or the melody of a song, it does produce or pushes you towards a certain behavior. They call it mood music. You step into the mall or into a restaurant, I think we universally recognize you sit in a fancy restaurant, right? Very posh, you know, you got to eat with your pinky out kind of thing. They're usually going to have some very soft, quiet, even classical type music because they want a calm atmosphere. You go into Rocco Mama's, you're probably not going to get that same music, right? They're producing a different kind of a feel. Some music, and let's say even whole genres of music, are built around producing a certain mood. Jazz, for instance. Jazz music was the whole movement of jazz is a bit rebellious. It's a bit rebellious. And, and it can even tend towards laziness. Now, they've run tests to see if that's what it produces. It slows you down a little bit. That's why people, you know, at the end of the day, they turn on jazz and just relax. Because when you're playing jazz music, you know, you have maybe a 4-4 a four, four beat, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. That's march music. Now, with jazz, instead of boom, 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 they won't do that. Jazz, when you're coming down, you should hit it boom. They'll actually hit that note just a little late. So they know where that note's supposed to be, and they pull in a little late. And that little bit of rebellion against where the downbeat should be, now, I'm giving you the musical history of it, but it produced this kind of swing music to say, hey, we don't have to do it the man's way. We've got our own style. It's laid back. It's cool. It's refined. It's us. It's not you. And the jazz movement was born. Now, every genre has something like that. You can find music that kind of pushes people towards rebellion, laziness. Some music just makes you angry. Right? Some music does that. I, I have never ever enjoyed heavy metal music. I, I don't get it, but you know, this is that head slam. I'm not even going to try. I'm too old. Right? I'll, I'll give myself a bad lecker, lecker here. I don't want to be there. <laughs> you know, the wolf pain. I don't want that. But you know, they start slamming their head up and down. That just, you just look angry. <laughs> and, and a little bit maul. I mean, <laughs> but that music, right, it's meant to produce that kind of thing. Jesus, the style in which he preached, right, there's the piping, more upbeat. John, he mourned. That's the more somber, serious approach. So they recognize that by saying it a certain way, by playing the music a certain way, we can push you in one direction or the other. One thing that must be recognized, take your Bible, come to 1 Corinthians 14. John nor Jesus, never, never did they use the candy of the world to lure a following. You guys understand what I mean by that? You get some creepy guy trying to lure kids to his van by offering them candy. Come here, little kid. I got a candy. Ooh, kids run from that, right? Don't, don't go near that. We don't want our children going near that. That guy's tricking you. 
See, he's giving you what you want, not what you need. Jesus, John, they didn't lower the standards to say, we know what the world likes. We know what makes the world comfortable. So we will incorporate these worldly pleasures into our ministry in order to draw a crowd. And once we get the crowd here and they're, they feel comfortable, they feel at home because what they hear in the church is exactly what they heard last night at the bar. It's the same feel, the same rhythm, so they get comfortable. And then we'll sneak the gospel in, you know, without them noticing. That's not the approach that Jesus, John, or any of the prophets had, right? So let, let's be careful that we understand the goal of our music. The goal of the music, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, this whole chapter is about how to conduct yourself in an assembly during a church service. And several things are mentioned, but let's notice in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Now, Paul just gives you a short list. You could add to that list if you wanted. The problem with the Corinthian church, they were showing up so that they could show off. Show up to show off. Look at how much I know. Look at how beautiful I can sing. Listen to how many languages I know. That's the tongue there. And, and Paul says, guys, that's not the right reason to use those gifts. If God has blessed you with certain abilities, use it not to entertain, not necessarily to draw a crowd and get their applause, but you want to be able to teach them and help them and build them up using whatever abilities you have. So at the end of the verse, he says, let all things be done unto edifying. So what's the goal, to entertain or to edify? Dr. Ruckman used to say it like this, the way that you draw a crowd is the way that you'll keep a crowd. There's a lot of truth to that. The way that you draw the crowd is the way that you'll keep the crowd. So if you bring them in with entertainment, as soon as you stop entertaining them, you know what's going to happen? They'll go to the next place that entertains them because that's why they showed up. See? That's why I say we're not going to offer the candy of the world to lure them in. If they, if they want to come, we want to have good music, spiritual music. We showed you the verse last week, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And it should sound good. I'll show you some verses later. It, it should move you. It should stir you, but to the right thing. It should edify you in the things of God. Let's come to Colossians chapter 3. And this verse works hand in hand with what we just read there. So our goal is to edify. That means to build people up by teaching them about God and Christ and the truth and the Bible. Now, by and large, I've been speaking about the body of the music. I'll remind you again, last week we talked about how communication, only 7% of our communication is done with the words that come out of our mouth. The other 93% is uh, facial expressions, body language, stuff like that, the tone of your voice. So we can't ignore that the melody or the tune of a song is important. But you can have a decent tune, but if the words aren't right, then that song is not worth singing. So we need to address both things. So Colossians 3, verse 16. The Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. Now, now let's pause for a moment there. You need to know your Bible. Do you see that? Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you how? Richly. That means store up the word of Christ in your heart. You should be familiar with what Jesus taught. You should be familiar with your Bible. I know that some of us struggle to memorize verses. I get that. I get that. Some of us are blessed with a better memory than others. I'm aware of that. But I'll tell you this, the more time you spend in the Bible, the more, let's say the easier it is for the Holy Spirit to bring things to your remembrance. I promise you, if you spend as much time with your Bible as you do with YouTube, you'd probably have it dwelling in you richly. Thy word hath I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what David said. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, paying attention to it. Deuteronomy 6 says that the word of God should be in your heart and when you walk by the way, when you sit in your house, when you rise up and when you lay down, you're talking about it. It dwells in you richly. Now notice, in all wisdom, it's one thing to know your Bible, it's another thing to know how to apply it. See, because many people, they have knowledge of the Bible, but then they use it for either financial gain or they thump people over the head with it. You know, that, you can use it incorrectly. Notice there's no full stop. The verse keeps going. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. All right, just pause there. Teaching and admonishing, let's say, one another. So far, what are we talking about? If, if there was a full stop there, you'd think we're talking about the Bible, right? And, and I think we certainly can see that part of the verse and think about the Bible. But look at what it says next. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, several things in that we discussed last week, so I'm not going to repeat all of it. The Word of Christ should go lock and step. It should be hand in hand with your music. That means the things that we sing, the lyrics, right? The information, the message that you're getting needs to be on point. Guys, I, I like this hymn book. I do. I do not think it's the only hymn book that, you know, a church can use. There's some other very good ones. I'm actually looking into a, a newer one that has most of these songs plus several, a couple hundred new ones, like in the last, you know, 50 years, 20 years, some good, good music. There are some songs in this book I will have. You guys know the tune to the Urwinenslied. Right? You know that. Did you know the, that comes from a song written by Julia Ward Howe? At the end of the Civil War, she put that song together called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He is marching on to victory. That was a song that says when the North won the war over the South in America, that was the second coming of Jesus. And the kingdom of Jesus, the millennial kingdom, was set up there through the North. I am not going to sing that song. That is Now, the tune... Lovely tune. It's a good tune, you know, to kind of get you in that soldierific mood. <laughs> and the Afrikaans version, the Urwinenslied, this a wunderlicke Lied. I, I love that song. When we have Americans over here, you know I always sing that song with the Americans here, and not one time has it failed. They always find me after the service and say, Brother Mike, are you singing the battle hymn of the Republic? <laughs> And they all think I've fallen into heresy because they think we just translated from English to Africa. I said, guys, 
The Afrikaans version of this is heeltemal anders. It's not even close to it. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> so the lyrics must be true. Is this song teaching you anything? Is it helping you grow in your faith? And at the same time, the melody also needs to be something that is moving your heart and not just your hips, right? Moving your heart, not just your hips. So let's, let's move into something different here. Let's come to Psalm 95. So now, Brother Mike, which melody is that that moves your heart, not your hips? Well, we got a gray area, and that's what makes it tricky. What gets your attention and kind of moves you that might be different than it is for me? And that's why it's a bit tricky. So we need to give a little bit of grace, some space in the middle there. I'm not going to be quick to condemn some other church because their music is slower or faster than ours or they use this beat instead of that beat. I am not the judge, listen, of the intentions of their heart. Does that make sense? And even if I say, listen, I wouldn't use that song in our church, okay, I will answer to God for the music that I allow in this church and that pastor will answer for the music he uses. I, can, I will not pretend to know why did he use that music. Is he lowering the standard to draw a crowd or does he honestly believe that this music will edify and help his people? I don't know that. I don't know his heart. I'm going to show you in a minute someone that does in a way that we can go about that. So let's look at Psalm 95. We're going to talk for a moment about music in the church. You saw the verse in 1 Corinthians that says when you assemble, right, when you come together, Everyone has a doctrine, has a psalm. When we come together, we should sing in church. Now, that might be obvious for most of you. You've grown up, grown up around a church or in a church, so you know that we're supposed to sing. Let me give you a few verses about that, though. Psalm 95.1. Oh, come. There's the assembly. Let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a what kind of noise? Joyful noise. I have led music for years. Right after I got saved, my pastor came to me and said, Brother Mike, would you please lead the music in our church? I only knew one song. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. We don't sing the same music in the Catholic church as we do in a Baptist or Methodist or any other church, right? Catholic church, we still have the old pipe organ and Ave Maria. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's very somber and... In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Not the same. I knew amazing grace. I knew that. So the pastor says, Brother Mike, will you lead music? I'll try my best. The piano player didn't know amazing grace. <laughs> so we were kind of up a creek. She knew at Calvary. You know, at Calvary, years I spent in vanity. So I... She knew that. I learned that. We sang that before Sunday school, before the Sunday service, Wednesday night. Serious. Sunday morning, we'd sing it before the service, have announcements, sing it again, and then have the preaching. <laughs> if you're going to get stuck anywhere, get stuck at Calvary. Amen. <laughs> when the piano player learned a new song, we thought revival was breaking out, man. It was, it was great. It was great. Now, I know this from leading music for years, and I've led music in America, I've led music in Malawi, I've led music here. So I've seen different cultures, I, there's different spectrums to this, right? When I was in Malawi, whoo, man, we'd sing for an hour, hour and a half before the service starts. We'd just go and go, you go from one chorus to the next, clapping and dancing and 
man. And then here, you guys, you know, you don't clap and dance as much. <laughs> That's okay. It's just different. It's not wrong. And one, one struggle we have as the song leader, how do you get people to sing joyfully? Armand? It's a challenge because you see people that are a bit stiff. Hulle dink dat hulle nog in die stilte kerk is. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound in time. I, that song needs a bit of oomph to it, right? I mean, it's the trumpet of the Lord. You, if that thing goes off and you're standing still, I don't know, maybe the rapture won't take you. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Hey, hey, it's the stilt. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You, you may want to sing the Baptist National Anthem. You know what that is, right? The Baptist National I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not. <laughs> now, how do we do that? I, I knew a pastor. Well, I know him. John Haviman. He's 75 now. He literally, and I mean this, sang his guts out. He led music so hard. And this guy has so much energy. When he leads music, he's going here and there, and he's up and down, and he's moving his arm, moving his arm. I mean, he's into it. And he sang so hard, he popped a hernia. <laughs> so he sang his guts out. He finished the song. <laughs> now, yes, a song leader needs to set the pace and the example, right? It's a joyful song. So if he is singing in a very, you know, unjoyful way, it's a bit difficult for you to do it. But there's only so much we can do as the song leader to induce joy in you, right? It's difficult for me to crank your engine. The point I want to make here is you need to crank your own engine. Stir yourself up. Look at the words you're singing and mean it. You say, I don't like that tune. I don't get into it. Hey, man, take whatever tune you got and sing it unto the Lord. If you want to sing something different in your home or personally, right, that's a different issue. But as a church, understand our goal. We want to magnify, praise, glorify, exalt, exalt every good word you can think. We want to do that unto the Lord. And we need to do it joyfully. And you can only help by getting involved in the congregational music to the best of your ability. And if that just means humming really loud until you learn the words, do that. Amen. Say, Brother Mike, I lost my voice, got laryngitis. Then smile while we sing. Right? Do, do something joyful. Make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, we know from the New Testament that rock is Christ. I told you last week, when you sing... Just push everything out. You need to sing by faith, not by sight. Put yourself directly before the Lord and sing to Him. That should induce the joy that you need. Look at Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Verse number 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Well, look at there. That, that doesn't work too well for the old-fashioned Baptist preacher that will not sing songs that were written in the 1900s. Bless God, if it doesn't come from the Reformation, I won't sing it. Well, you got like three songs then that you're going to sing. This says even a new song, right? Sing unto the Lord a new song. 
why, why would David emphasize a new song? The time and effort it takes for a person to sit down and write an edifying, God-glorifying song, that's, something, that's a work that comes from the heart. Now, I will say there are plenty of churches that put together these new little choruses, you know, these quick overnight sensations. You put a, a fancy worldly beat to it, and you can just repeat some empty Christian phrase, and all of a sudden it's a hit single, you know, and number one on the charts. Okay, if there's no heart to it, then don't use it. But if God's done something for you, something great, maybe you want to express that through a song. Man, that's something that we can get behind. And David did that. That's where the book of Psalms came from. God worked in his life and he said, let me show you how grateful I am to God. Let me write a song about it. Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Amen, that's Christ. The Lord hath made known his salvation. Thank God for that. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now doctrinally he's talking about the second coming actually. But verse 4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a cornet. So you can have instruments included, right? And not just one, not just a pipe organ. You can bring in instruments, use them in the right way, and sing joyfully and loudly. Now, be careful here, okay? Don't think that volume equals good. <laughs> be, be careful of that because you can actually steal the show by singing so loud, we can't hear the music, we can't hear one another. There is something to singing together with everybody, right? So don't try to outdo the next guy. But also, the opposite of singing loudly is singing quietly. We're not church mice. It's okay to lift your voice, and let's say, to the level at which you are thankful to God. Just think about that. So in a few minutes when we sing again, we'll be able to somewhat evaluate where your heart is with God, how much you want to praise and acknowledge what He's done through the level of your volume. Moving on. <laughs> Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Say, Brother Mike, I don't see it that way. Well, there was a verse in the Bible about it there. So, Psalm 27. Now, we will sing congregational music. That is, we're all singing together. The Biedermans, I told you about them last week. Hopefully they'll come soon this year. And they'll teach us even uh, how to do our congregational music better. We'll learn how to sing parts, you know. You heard me maybe doing it just now. When the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll, when the roll. That, you can do those two parts. Well, all of that is good for congregational music, but there's another way to sing in church. You can stand up and sing a special, we call it a special, whatever word you want to put to it, a solo or, you know, you can have a small group get up and sing to the church. I know maybe culturally that might be strange for some of you, so I've been told, but it is a biblical and a healthy thing to do, I think. So Psalm 27, verse 6, 
David says, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. He says, I'm going to go into the house of God and I will sing. Now, could he be referring to I'm going to sing along with everybody else? Yes, maybe. But David says, God gave me victory. So I'm going to go down to the house of God, the tabernacle, and I'm going to sing. So maybe God puts a song on your heart. You say, but oh, Brother Mike, to stand up in front of everybody, I'm a bit nervous, you know, that would be asking a lot. That's why it's called the sacrifice of joy. (laughs) Now, please, when you sing your special, just know your limits. It is a sacrifice, but let's not make it sound like you're sacrificing a goat. (laughs) 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 Be careful with that, right? Come to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings 3. I've had plenty of moments where, you know, I tried to sing a special and I know that my, I I don't have any kind of a great voice, but whatever voice I have, I'll try to use it for the Lord. 2 Kings 3 verse 14. I've gotten up and I used to preach in uh, prisons and juvenile detention centers quite a bit. I got up one time, had about 10 young prisoners in front of me. And uh, the guy who was leading the ministry, he said, Brother Mike, would you sing before you preach? He gave me no advanced warning. I said, well, I don't have any music or anything, you know, no words. He said, well, do the best you can. I said, okay, here goes. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross a battle is raging for the it is finished I went straight to the chorus I I forgot the words Ah. (laughs) what you gonna do (laughs) you know what it didn't end my ministry didn't end my life did you know one of the kids that day got saved and he came to church after he got out of prison got baptized went home told his mom and dad how to be saved I mean, this had nothing to do with my singing, no doubt. (laughs) I'm just saying it didn't hurt. (laughs) 2 Kings 3, verse number 14. Elisha, this is the student, right? And follow-up, if we can say, to Elijah. Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the uh, presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. (laughs) When you read this story... That, that's a royal burn right there. The king of Israel says, hey, come on, Elisha, help us. And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, standing next to the king of Israel. And Elisha says to the king of Israel, you know, if it weren't for, for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look at you. <laughs> and that's just good old-fashioned hard preaching there. So Elisha is now going to prophesy. But before he does, verse 15, but now bring me a minstrel, a stringed instrument. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Notice how music changed, if I can use the term, the mood. So now Elisha is a bit ticked off with the king of Israel. He's a bit frustrated that this absolute hypocrite ignores the prophet until time of war. Now we need your help. You know what? You sorry low-down scoundrel. The only time you come asking any Bible questions is when you're in trouble. You know, oh man, I'm just so fed up. Bring a minstrel, get me in the mood to preach. (laughs) This is precisely why we sing before we preach. 
set the mood, to draw our hearts and our minds, open them up, draw them closer to God. Have you ever been watching a movie and you know what's going to happen next in the movie because of the background music? Right? You know, oh, he's just about to catch him, or he's just about to die, or they're just about to fall in love based on the music that's playing in the background, right? Music sets the mood. So I don't want, in our church, I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't like it at any service before I get up to preach, get everybody stirred up and thinking about worldly carnal things, right? Hey, that tune, that melody, I was listening to that in my car, that's that worldly music. I don't want them thinking about that based on the sound, the tune of it, and then I get up and try to preach in an opposite direction. I want to be sure we use music that pushes us in the right way. Come to Hebrews chapter 4. So music requires spiritual discernment. You say, preacher, what do you mean by spiritual discernment? You need to be able to recognize what is happening in the spiritual realm. If, if, if you struggle to understand that, let's put it into the natural. What is natural discernment? I can see that this guy over here has a knife. He has an angry look on his face. The knife is up in the air, and there's a guy over here that's running away. I, naturally, I can discern he's angry. He's a thief. Right? And he is chasing him. Something like that. I can figure out what's happening just through my natural human observation. Have you ever walked into, the, into a room and it, it feels tight? You go, you know, if, man, something's not right in here. Someone's angry at someone. That's, it's a gut feeling. You don't have any scientific evidence that that's what's going on. Just something doesn't feel right. Spiritual discernment, I heard one preacher say it like this, it's a spiritual gut feeling. Now, you can actually learn spiritual discernment. You don't just wake up one day and have it. You learn it. Hebrews chapter 4, let's, let's see where you can learn this. Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the Word of God is quick, that means it's alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a what? Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When you're reading the Bible, the Bible is reading you. The Bible is a discerner. It tells us what's going on in the heart of man. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So through reading, studying, getting more familiar with the Bible, you are going to get better at discerning spiritual things because the Holy Spirit has told us in this book over 31,000 verses of how God views humanity. See, I'm not going to be able to read your mind or your heart, but I can, through knowing this book, become better at recognizing, you know, this kind of feels like the Holy Spirit moving me. And this or that uh, song, that sermon, this, you know, behavior, this doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit moving me. This feels like some other spirit moving me. You can learn to discern or distinguish between those things. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 12. 
For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He's rebuking them. Guys, you've been saved long enough. You should know your Bible well enough now so that you should be able to teach it and yet you're still stuck at the very basic things. You're not even grounded in that. Verse 13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, a baby. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, mature. Even those who by reason of what? Use. Do you see that? They're using their Bible. They're opening it. They're turning the pages, finding the verses, reading it over and over again. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to what? To discern both good and evil. The more Bible you put in you, the better equipped you are to recognize what is moving in the spiritual realm. Dads, in your home, it is your job to have some spiritual discernment. What TV shows should our family watch? What movies should I allow? What kind of entertainment? Because I'm not against, you know, having leisure. I think you guys say leisure, leisure time where you relax. I'm not against that. But be careful that that leisure time and those things you do does not push you in the wrong way. You've got to have some discernment. You've got to make some boundaries there. At a certain point, that show you're watching, after enough F-bombs are dropped, you better shut that off. I mean, that, that, that's for free. That has nothing to do with music. I'm just saying that needs to be said. Now, my job as the leader of the church, I've got to have some spiritual discernment. I'm responsible for what the sheep are being fed, yes? Ultimately, no matter who stands in this pulpit, a guest preacher, somebody else in our church, I'm responsible for what, get, for what is said. Remember, preaching is much like singing. We're communicating God's truth to you. One is doing it through speaking, the other one through singing. I am ultimately responsible for what you're going to be putting out in this pulpit. Somebody comes and says, Brother Mike, I'd like to sing in church. Outstanding, man. I love that initiative. Please come and let's set that up. But I am going to ask, what would you like to sing? You see, I, I've, I've, I've been in this long enough to, to have been burned a few times. I had a lady in Malawi come and say, Pastor, I want to sing. I said, great, Sing. She got up and she starts singing, Muyenera, Kusunga, Malamulo, Kupita, Kumamba. And I went, whoa, whoa, I, stop. She said, you have to keep the commandments to go to heaven. I was like, oh, no, 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 that, that's not right. Now, I don't know where she learned that, but I had never heard that song. And boom, out it came. So I've, I've learned better to ask beforehand, what, what would you like to sing? And, and please, you've got to understand, I'm, I'm not trying to micromanage that. I, I, I'm pretty open to a lot of ideas, but I've got to be careful with that. I'll repeat it again before we close. What you sing personally, right? Do not think that whatever standard I use in the church is what you need to use at home. You need to have some personal discernment for that. That's why I have not, last week and today, I'm not trying to draw any hard, fast lines to say, you know, this singing group, that singing group, don't listen to this, you must listen to that you are going to answer to God for that kind of music. We're going to do our best to provide music in this church that stirs the heart, opens it up, points it in the right direction. That's our goal. I'm going to close with this thought, and I, I can't turn you to a verse, which is actually interesting. That's the point I'm making. Paul wrote to Timothy, two epistles, and he wrote to Titus, right? First Timothy, 
2 Timothy and the book of Titus, the letter to Titus. These are two pastors, young pastors, that are just getting going in the ministry. Paul wrote to them and said, in the house of God, this is how you should behave. And he gives them chapters of advice. Did you know there's nothing about singing in those books? You say, well, maybe they didn't sing back then. They did. We have the church history books that says those early churches sang a lot. But I find it interesting that Timothy and Titus had no advice on what to do with the music. You know what that tells me? It should not be the focal point of the church. Should it be in the church? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians tells us that it's in there. Should it be the main thing? Absolutely not. I will tell you in Timothy and Titus what is emphasized over and over again. Be sure, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What did he tell Timothy? Preach the word. Be instant in There's over and over an emphasis on make sure you got your Bible straight, make sure you're teaching, preaching it, living it. The singing will come. Right? The Bible will give us guidelines for it, but it should not be the thing in church. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. Right? So our job is to hold up the truth and let Jesus Christ shine through that truth. All right, let's all stand if you would. I hope this has helped. We'll have a word of prayer and let you guys have some fellowship outside. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to open the Word of God. Lord, I wish that you could just come down and choose our songs for us. Then we, then we would know for sure. But as best we can, God, we want to use our music, no matter what song it is, to magnify you, to draw attention to how good you've been to us, to praise you, and, and to learn about you. We do pray that you bless our service to come and the fellowship we can have now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys enjoy some fellowship.